So I talk about this often when I speak that every single thing about flipping can be done long distance. So you do not need to be physically located at the property or adjacent to the property to be able to flip the property. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, my equity family. Welcome to another show. On today's show, we have Ashley Wilson. Ashley is from Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, and she has done over 40 million in real estate transactions and overseen over 5 million in renovations. Ashley has two companies, How's It Look House Flipping and Bar Down Investments, which is multifamily and apartment syndication. So Ashley is a very seasoned investor. She has done numerous flips. She's into apartments and multifamily now. So let's all welcome Ashley to the show. Ashley, how are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Great, great. So tell me a little bit about you. Get a little, give us a little bit more information about what you do and who you are and what's your investment strategy. Absolutely. So I started investing in real estate approximately 10 years ago, um, a little bit by accident and a little bit on um, intentional. So uh, my husband and I, we always knew we wanted to get into real estate. We had done a lot of research on investing, um, what was the safest way to invest based off of our earning potential and where we wanted to take our life um, in terms of financial freedom, and then also to our risk aversion in terms of whether or not we wanted to invest in something like the stock market where it doesn't it's not backed by a tangible asset. Um, and real estate obviously is backed by a tangible asset. So we like that component of real estate. We like the tax benefits that real estate provides. Um, the appreciation due to um, a lot of different factors, but one of which obviously um, is with inflation. So there's a lot of different indicators in real estate that really matched our investing strategy and our life goals. We started investing with a single family rental property, um, which we did short-term rentals. And that was about 10 years ago. And since then, obviously it's grown into much more than that. Um, mm -hmm. and we've obviously enjoyed every minute of it. And now both of us do this full time. Okay. So starting with that single family, because I know a lot of people, when they hear 40 million in real estate transactions and things like that, they automatically get the impression that, Hey, you know, she started with a whole lot. That's why she's here. So tell me about that first deal. What inspired you to do it and why, how did it, how did you pull it off? 
So my philosophy is that everyone has an advantage to start in real estate. And it's about not looking at what other other people have and seeing that as a reason why you shouldn't start, but instead being introspective and finding what you have that makes it advantageous for you to start. So um, with respect to starting any business, I think there's three components. I think there's capital, inventory, and your team. And any business needs all three in which to succeed. So in terms of capital, we did have a little bit of capital to start in terms of what we wanted to do with investing in, in purchasing a single family house. And uh, we house hacked it at first and then we converted it over to an Airbnb. Um, but you know, for example, I don't have experience with marketing and some people can argue that the most successful people in the world are the best marketers. So everyone has a benefit, everyone has an advantage. Um, and I think it's just kind of narrow, um, focused if you only focus on the capital, because fortunately capital is everywhere. Capital yeah. is, you're able to get capital in so many different ways that capital in my opinion is not a real advantage um, you can get capital through seller financing where the seller finances the property for you which can be even more advantageous sometimes than going through a traditional conventional financing route with a bank um, you can get capital through partnering with people which um, partnering allows you to go faster further or, or further faster excuse yep. me so the, there's a lot of things that not having capital actually give you an advantage because it pushes you outside of the envelope of I'll just use my own personal funds. And also too, when you only are willing to use your own personal funds, your personal funds run out. So if you're not willing to partner with other people and you're not willing to be creative and finding financial uh, opportunities, I think it can actually be a detriment. So with this first property, we were fortunate that we did have capital to purchase it. We purchased it as our primary home originally and then converted, as I mentioned before, as an Airbnb. Okay. From there, we had some more capital to invest in a uh, flip that we did a few years later. Um, we also did a few uh, rentals along the way, but I think the point is, is that, um, you know, at different stages, we probably could have done a lot more if we had gone outside of our own capital. So in our situation, one could look at it and actually say, you know, having capital was a detriment because it didn't force us to see the bigger picture, right. which is capital is abundant. Exactly. And you, you make a very strong point because a lot of people that I talk to, you know, they say, well, I have limited funds. I, I don't have the money. You know, and I tell people, you know, you have to get out there. There's, there's money everywhere. You know, yep. you just have to be in the right areas in the right circles and you have to know what you need and know how to ask for it. So that's, that's one of the key things that you, that you definitely have to do. So this first property was a single family property that you were buying um, with you and your family or your husband. And so tell me the numbers on that property. So we purchased it and it was a short sale. Um, I, I'm, I think it was 140,000 that we purchased it for. I'm pretty sure. Um, and the properties in that market were trading anywhere from 175 to 190. So we had instant equity in the property. 
Also too, this was the largest floor plan in the entire complex. Most, most of the units were max 2000 square feet and this was almost 2500 square feet. So we probably could have, um, you know, turned it around, did, done a quick renovation on it, probably put five or 10,000 on it and probably sold it close to 200, if not a little over 200. But instead what we did is obviously it's our, it was our primary house at the time. So we, uh, lived in it and, um, my husband, um, he was working in that area at the time. So we needed a house, uh, for it was seasonal work so we um lived in that area for nine months of the year and then we actually lived with my parents and his parents the other three months of the year okay. um and during those three months that's when we converted it over to an airbnb and while we lived in it we actually so the backstory is um is that my husband was a professional hockey player so he was playing for a team in this area and we house hacked it by having other teammates live in the other bedrooms and this so was in this was in hershey pennsylvania correct? hershey pennsylvania correct okay so um you know a lot of people turn off turn off and they don't want to listen once i say professional hockey player but as i said before we all have different strengths so and capital in my opinion is not um the greatest strength out of the out of the triangle of things you need for a business. So with um, that particular property, the first year we um, did the uh, short-term rentals, the Airbnb, and we made 20,000 over the three months, the second year 30,000 and the third year 40,000. And wow. okay. the reason we were able to do that is because I'm a person who believes in systemization. I love to come into a new business and figure out the strategy to make a property run the most efficiently. So with that, I systematized everything because in the summer, I didn't want to deal with tenants. I didn't want to mm -hmm. deal with booking. So I gave discounts if you booked early. I gave discounts if you um, were repeat uh, vacationers that are okay. customers. So um, really what it did is it booked up all of our days. So by the third year, our entire calendar for three months was booked solid. Wow. And that was the difference in how we were able to achieve those returns. So how were you able to do it, Ashley? I mean, you had no experience in real estate. You didn't know much about Airbnb. You didn't know much about, you know, managing tenants. You know, how did you get over, I don't want to say those excuses that people would normally use, but how did you get over, you know, figuring this thing, these things out? I never really look at something and say, oh, I don't know this poor me, I'm just going to forego it. Instead, I am someone who's always had a, a very inquisitive mind. And when I don't know something, I look it up. When I don't know something, I ask a question. When I don't know something, I Google it or I read a book or, I mean, even simple things like, for example, um, you know, why is a holiday on a certain day or why was something yeah. named a certain way? I've just always had a very inquisitive mind. So for me, something like this it never even phased me. I never once thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is so difficult. How do I do this? I just thought to myself, well, we aren't using the property in the summer. I'm pretty, I'm sure we could probably run it. This is a vacation town. Uh, it'll probably be easy to do. And I just looked into how to do it. I just went on bigger pockets. I read different posts about it. 
I um, looked on YouTube. I read books about it. I listened to podcasts. I mean, I literally just used every educational, free educational resource I had available to me. And I put the plan in motion. I just said, okay, I need a cleaning crew. I need extra set of keys because this was obviously before the time of the you know, the programmable lock boxes. boxes. So I just knew that I had to set everything up. And the more I set up in advance, the less I had to do when the property uh, was rented. So stockpiling extra batteries and toilet paper and, you know, multiple sets of towels and sheets. and, And I figured out the first year, I had such a huge gap in time in turnover and in changing over the property because I only bought one set of supplies and the cleaning crew had to clean everything during that period and then reset everything up. And I just thought to myself, well, it's probably more cost effective if I buy three or four sets. So all they do is strip everything and then they leave and then the turnover is only two hours. So I'm only paying them two hours at the property and then just one person to do the actual laundry component of it instead of paying them four hours across, you know, four or five different cleaning people. So things like that, you kind of learn as you go along. I didn't have all the answers the first year, obviously I, you, mm-hmm. you learn, but that is the whole point is once you know something, if you don't take action to make it better then that's on you. And it's really important that you do take action because that's the difference between 20,000 the first year and 40,000 the third year. Absolutely. And, and basically what you talked about was just being assertive. And that's some of the things that people have to understand is, Yes, all of the information is out there. You know, there's YouTube, there's podcasts, there's bigger pockets, there's blogs. There's there's plenty of information out there. But if you're not assertive and then you get the, that information and then put it into action, then getting that information is absolutely useless because you're not doing anything with it. So you figure it out. You said, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be assertive. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to research and I'm going to find out what it is that I need to do. And then... I'm going to start putting the pieces in place. And that was one of the the key things. You didn't know all of the answers. You didn't try and figure it out, you know, one lump sum. You said, okay, well, I need a cleaning crew. So let me start looking for a cleaning crew. You know, I need a way to get my cleaning crew to get in the property. So let me find a way to get extra keys or something like that. So guys, you have to understand that you don't have to have it all figured out from the beginning you know, when you get started, you learn as you go, you know, down that road. So Ashley, so 20,000 to 30,000 to 40,000, I know you were really pleased about that. Um, so what was the, what was the next step? I mean, after that, what did you do next? The next step after that is we continued with that property for the three years. And then we actually had someone who went into long-term lease it from us. So when my husband um, got picked up by another team. We rented it to the hockey players during the season and then short-term rentals during the summer for um, the second and third year. So the first year we lived in it and then, you know, the second and third year, these, these other guys lived in it. The fourth year, there was someone who wanted to lease it from us for a long-term lease. And, um, At that point, we weren't living in the state, and I thought, okay, you know, this would probably be a good idea. Hindsight, 
I probably should have um, turned it into an Airbnb year round mm -hmm. because at the time there weren't a lot of properties in that market for Airbnb. And um, this was a very good property in the sense that it was in a, a community. So it had a pool, it had a gym, it had a, it had a lot of different amenities. So no other property, even if they wanted to, could compare. And I had already gotten a variance from the community to be able to to operate it like this. Okay. So I probably would have made more money long-term if I had done that. But regardless, what ended up happening is we ended up leasing that property long-term. And then that renter actually bought the property from us okay. um, a year and a half later. We bought another property. We also house hacked that property and um, rented it to a long-term renter. So actually, then, not yes. to cut you off, I'm sorry. So no. that your primary residence you bought for 140. What kind Correct. of what kind of financing did you guys do? Traditional financing through a bank. Okay, uh, was yep. it FHA or conventional? No, it's just conventional. Conventional. Correct. Okay, mm -hmm. and then in the first three years, I mean, you made ninety thousand dollars on that property. <laughs> we actually made more than that. We made 90,000 just on the short-term rentals. We house hacked it too. So oh, wow. the, the first year we were living in it, we had uh, two other guys on the team paying us rent. So we were living for free plus making money on, um, on living yeah. there because okay. of those two rental incomes. And then the second and third year we had three guys living in it so they were paying that so we were making even more money on the property and still short-term renting it in the summer um those two years and then the fourth year is when we leased it long term we didn't make as much money on it when we leased right. it long term wow well you talk about taking something small and really expanding it you know to to maximize its earning potential you guys definitely did that you know so you took regular single family residence and you turned it into short-term rental plus you house hacked it so you was getting income from it plus the you know mortgage the the payment the principal buy down you know yep. and the tax incentives so you're definitely positioning yourselves well you know in these first two or three years so now you're transitioning and you're on your second house hack how did you find that property and the other thing too, just before we move on to the second house, uh -huh. the first house we bought under the first time home buyer program. Oh, so wow. we also got the $8,000 tax credit. So in reality, it was 132,000 instead of 140,000. So we, we got that instantly when we purchased the property because neither my husband nor I had purchased a property before. So okay. So that was another um, perk on that property. Um, on our second property, it was, um, we bought a condo and we had um, another was this bedroom. Still, this was still in Pennsylvania or? This is also in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, and we rented the one bedroom out long-term. So we house hacked it. And then we lived in the other room and the, way the house was set up, it was almost like it was two different houses anyway. Uh, we barely saw our roommate um, during that, um, with that property. But once again, we only lived in it three months out of the year because of my husband's job and living in different cities. Um, so the renter covered 
our payment for that house while we were playing elsewhere, you know, while we were living elsewhere. So that was our next property. Um, and then so we, that property, when you purchased that one, that was conventional also, and you still correct. own the property and still own the first house. Okay. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Okay. So now you have these two properties that you're generating income from. Um, yes. the first property again, just to recap, $8,000 off with the first time home buyers program. You already walked into the property with instant equity because you bought it as a short sale. It's making $90,000 on it just from the short term rental plus the house hacking. So again, positioned well, then you move it to the second property, which was the condo. What was the financing on that one? That one was conventional as well. Con okay. Yep, conventional loan. Um, that was, um, that was our new primary residence, so to speak. Um, but we only lived there a few months out of the year. And okay. then, um, from there, we, um, my husband stopped playing in North America and we moved to Europe. And when we moved to Europe, I was working in pharmaceuticals. I was working in clinical R and D and I resigned from that. Okay. And while I was over in Europe, I just was really bored. And we always knew we wanted to get into real estate once my husband's career was over. But I proposed to him that we get into it while he was still playing. And I would build up the business because that way we would have, we would figure out all of our mistakes with being, with having another income um, gotcha. to support us. So he agreed with that philosophy. My dad is a general contractor. It was just a natural partnership especially with us living in Europe and my dad, you know, located in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that we would partner with him to start a flipping business. And that's what we did. Perfect. So, so now you're virtual flipping from Europe. Correct. With your dad. Wow. Okay. Very ambitious. I mean, that was very smart. You said, Hey, we're going to eventually get into real estate investing. We might as well do it now while we have another income stream to supplement, you know, hey, if things go haywire, you know, we still have, you know, hubby's main income coming in to, to support it. So that was, that was very smart. So now how did you structure everything with your dad being over in Europe to him doing things in Philadelphia or the suburbs of Philadelphia? How did you guys do that? How did you work out the logistics with that? So I talk about this often when I speak that every single thing about flipping can be done long distance. So you do not need to be physically located at the property or adjacent to the property to be able to flip the property. The benefit of today is technology. We have technology and if you know how to leverage technology, you can make a lot of money. So for us, for example, I found the properties. I did the analysis on the properties. I toured the properties with my dad through FaceTime or with our realtor through FaceTime. Mm -hmm. um, I did the design. So my dad would, my dad and I both did the design, but I did like, okay, we're going to take out this wall. We're going to open this up here all through FaceTime. Wow. And okay. um, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I grew up with my dad as a general contractor, I've walked through a lot of houses, I've seen a lot of transitions. So when I walk into a property, I can already visualize it finished. I don't, it, it's not difficult for me to, to grasp that kind of visualization. And 
likewise for going over with the phone. So my dad and I come up with the rehab budget together. We come up with it independently and then compare to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, I would buy all the materials from Europe and have them shipped to the property or to my dad. Um, I would help schedule with the contractors, anything that would help my dad out. Because when we first got started, we actually worked on the houses. So when I wasn't living in Europe, my dad and I physically worked on the houses. And then when I was in Europe, my dad physically worked on the houses, which is not scalable. Yeah, but, um, but it was, once again, a learning process. And once again, you learn something and you, you pivot and you make an adjustment. Um, so my dad and I, we would work on the houses. Um, I would do all the marketing for us. I would do our accounting. I literally did anything that would make his job easier. And I, and I'm going to just jump in right here because that was one of my biggest fears. I'm in the midst of doing a flip right now. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, but the flip is in Chicago. So before I did it, I was like, man, how am I going to pull this off? But the deal was so solid. I was like, well, I don't want to just wholesale it and make, you know, 25, 30 grand on it, which is, which is excellent, you know, just yep. signing it. But I saw the potential in the property and I'm like, man, you know what, if I can figure this out, we can make almost a hundred grand doing this one deal, you know? Okay. So I was like, well, I'm going to figure this out, you know, because <laughs> 20 grand versus a hundred grand is a big difference. And it's been working out perfectly. You know, I have, my attorney has been helping me and the real estate agent has been helping and the contractors have been helping. So we've been pulling this thing off and we're set to close next week. And I never had to go there to really do anything to make sure this, this property got off the ground, you know, so I can attest to what you're saying. You can do it remotely, especially with all of the technology and the tools. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a few properties that I've never even stepped foot in. So, I mean, that just goes to show, um, you know, one of the properties where we actually made one of the larger, largest profits, it wasn't the largest, but one of the larger profits we've made um, was a property that I didn't step foot in, but I did all of the design, literally all mm -hmm. of the design there. So, you know, how, how is that possible? <laughs> it's possible because you leverage technology, you build a good team around you. Um, and you do the due diligence, you do the proper due diligence, you purchase it correctly, you estimate the rehab correctly, you execute it correctly yeah. and you market it correctly. And that's how you can get, um, you know, a good yield. Absolutely. Absolutely. You spot on Ashley. So tell me about this. So this first property, this first virtual wholesale, um, Tell me, how did, how did you find it? You know, was it off market? Was it on market? Um, it was on market. It's actually um, kind of surprising that we, I would say 90% of our properties are on market properties still to this wow, day. They're on market. And um, a lot of people, um, you know, for years now, people, when I go to meetups, they say, oh, you can never find anything on market. And I just sit there quietly because I keep finding things on on market and I don't have a problem finding properties on market, which, you know, we can get to later. But for this particular property, it was an on market property. Um, in all honesty, we had decided that we were going to put together this business in March of 2014. And we had done a lot of groundwork 
are we going to structure this business? We got all the entity structures lined up. We figured out our partnership arrangement. We um, figured out how much money we had, which, you know, shows what kind of property we can purchase, you know, figuring out basically all the, the basic information. And then we started looking at properties and we're like, no, we don't like this one for this reason or whatever. So we didn't offer. This property was the first property we offered on and we got it. So we were really scared because we were like, are we overpaying for this property? Are we not seeing something? Because how is it that we just got the first property? You know, everyone talks about it takes a lot of offers to get a property. And here we just got the first property we offered on. So it was a little scary at first, um, but, you know, it ended up being a, a good property. So you spoke about, you know, getting your entities in place and your partnership structure and everything like that. I know that working with family can be challenging at times. So what did you guys do um, in order to hash out things? Let's just say if something went awry, your dad didn't tile something right, or, you know, you didn't order something. How did you guys work that out and still have this homogeneous relationship after out or outside of, of the business? Well, my dad just puts me up for adoption. (laughs) So so, um, a lot of people, when they see my dad and I work together, they think it's an anomaly because we can turn on and off business. So we can be in the moment yelling at each other business wise. And then, you know, for example, on the phone, we'll be screaming at each other over something and then we'll be like, okay, love ya. All right. I'll, I'll see you at, you know, dinner on Sunday night or something, something like that. We can just turn it on and turn it off. I've always had that relationship with my dad. So fortunately for me, it's never, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't take things personally. Um, okay. And he doesn't take things personally. So that works out really well. At the end of the day, we want the same thing. We're invested the same way. I think when you question someone's um, commitment or their character or competency, I think when you question those factors, I think that creates an underlying animosity towards the person. And then the event in the in the workspace only um, exacerbates it. But I think when you know, you have a solid foundation with someone and you know that, you know, you could leave your wallet on a table and they would never steal it. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they would, they have your best interest at heart and you have aligned vision, values, ethics, goals, things like that. I think that, um, you know, arguing over something, it's just very like, okay, let's move on. You know, we figure it out. So for us, um, my dad and I do argue not as much as we did at the beginning, because I think we just, that's our communication style. And that's how we just, (laughs) you know, hash things out. But now that we have, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. The second house we did once again, I was in Europe and it was a cosmetic flip and I came home and they had already had an open house at this property, uh, or we had already had an open house at this property. And I came home, and when I came home, um, and I toured this property for the first time, I walked throughout the entire property and noticed that all of the outlet covers and um, switches, switch plates, were almond. And I said, oh. "Oh my god!" For like blanket, like moving forward, this can never happen. They always need to be white. I don't ever ask me about it. They all need to be switched. Well, of course, my dad freaked out on me and he was like, 
do you know how long it'll take? I was like, I don't care. I'll come here with you and we'll go through the house and switch them out or we'll just pay an electrician to switch it out, you know, whatever, but they need to be switched. Um, so now he knows that every house House. years ago, but you know, that was something where, um, to me, it was a major eyesore when you walk in the house and my dad doesn't necessarily look at things like that. I think he does now. Like he's trained me and I've trained him, Mm -hmm. you know, we've learned Mm -hmm. from each other. Um, so it's just all about learning and working together, how you communicate. And that's good. And that's, and like you said, that that's key. You're learning to work with him. He's learning to work with you, you know, so the almond light switch covers is a big no, no for you. But for him as being a contractor, it's like, okay, let's just get these light switch covers covered, you know? Um, and well, they were existing. So it was a okay. cosmetic flip. So he didn't see why are we replacing gotcha. a new construction? It was a new construction house. So it was only, you know, a few years, the house was only less than 10 years old, I think at the time. So he was like, why are we replacing things that are, aren't need to be replaced, but in terms of the overall cosmetic aesthetic look, you know, look, the aesthetic yeah. look. Yeah. And then that's, so. that's what a hundred dollar fix. I mean, going through, it's nothing. You, yeah, you buy a pack of, you know, contractors pack of light switch covers and outlet covers and, and it's done. I think so. it was more so it was across 4,300 square feet. I think that was, I think that was more the issue, it was not the, the work. cost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the issue. <laughs> okay. So do, do you guys split the profits 50-50? Yes. Okay. Okay. So yes. 50-50. People ask me that all the time and, you know, everyone has their own partnership and how they work things out. And it all comes down to how much is someone contributing on both ends. You know, if you have someone who's just GCing a job, providing no insight, um, you know, they, they are really like an employee, then maybe profit sharing isn't the way to go. It, yep. it, you know, it's a case by case basis, gotcha, but gotcha. for us, it's 50, 50, we're in it together. Okay. So yep. now looking, looking for these deals on market, like you said, this one that you, that we're talking about, what percentage of equity are you looking for? You know, what, what's a good deal to, uh, Ashley. Okay. So this is a very complicated answer because it's not straightforward. And people have asked me this all the time. They just want to know my metrics, especially if someone's looking for properties for me. And I don't run it as a straight metrics that I'm looking, you know, for a 30% gain or from my initial investment or something to that effect. What I look at is a, a lot of factors. I look at, um, the risk associated with our money being invested I look at the market conditions. So I look at, you know, how easy is this property going to be to sell in the end versus um, how long we're going to be in the property, how much money we're going to have tied up in the property, our ability to get additional loans. Um, uh, what other factors do we look at? Um, just overall, it's like an, an entire portfolio in terms okay. of um, a, a lot of different factors. And then we have our own formula can, taking into consideration all of those factors. So for example, on a cosmetic rehab, if it was, you know, a two or $300,000 price range, that profit, um, yield is going to be a lot different than say it was a cosmetic rehab on a four or $500,000 house or a $700,000 house. There are so many different variables. Um, okay. And then if it's a full gut rehab on a $200,000 house versus a full gut rehab on a $500,000 house or $600,000 house, you know, on a $200,000 house, it's probably going to be smaller. It might take us a month and a half to two months, maybe two and a half months on a larger project. You're talking 
minimum you're starting at is two and a half to three months. So, you know, there's a lot of risk exposure there on the higher prices because markets can change and um, their resale price can be impacted also to our holding costs are longer. Um, So there's, you know, that, and then we obviously have more money invested on a larger house than we have on a smaller house. Okay. So um, I'm sorry, it's not so straightforward, but when we did do it, the original way. So for example, I know that, you know, everyone likes to use a 70% rule that um, is spoken about on BP. If I had used that rule, we would never have purchased any of the houses we have at the price we have. And um, except for one house, we have made profit on all of the houses, five figure profits on every single house, except for one house. So to me, you know, sometimes um, metrics like that aren't really telling the full story. Absolutely. And I actually wrote a blog post on bigger pockets about why the 70% rule is overrated. And I caught quite a bit of flack from it, but I was just going off of what I knew, you know, all the deals that we were getting were not 70%, you know, some were greater, some were lesser, but we were still, you know, being successful at it. So Ashley, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what are some of the things that attributed to your success. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers with 100% coverage across the U.S. PropString provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love it. Okay, guys, welcome back. We have Ashley Wilson here from Pennsylvania. She is a fix and flipper, apartment syndicator, um, and she's into multifamilies. So Ashley, tell me what has attributed to your success? My team. I mean, really, it's all about the people you surround yourself with, the people you work with, the knowledge people have, the um, tenacity, the work ethic, I mean, just everything that has been great about this situation boils down to the team. And whenever I've had issues, it's always, it's also been due to, to you know, people team, that yeah. I've, you know, no longer uh, work with or so, um, you know, um, yeah. so, so it really comes down to your team. Success is all about your team. Um, money can come and go. Um, you know, the properties come and go. Um, but your team, if you, if you really focus on building an incredible team, you can go as far as you want. Gotcha. Gotcha. So tell me, uh, Ashley, in doing all of this, uh, what, what's your primary source of funding? Are you doing hard money, private money, you guys raising capital? How are you being able to secure 
you know, these properties plus the rehab costs. So in the single family business, we have been able to use our own capital um, for the down payment. We use bank financing actually for, okay. to fund the debt portion of the property. So we've been very fortunate to establish a relationship with a bank um, that, you know, believes in what we're doing. And, um, you know, we, we've spent a, several years building this relationship with them um, through multiple properties. And it's a, it's a really good relationship with a small bank in our area that we so, really enjoy working with. So how did you guys find a bank? Because I always tell people that, and because in where my portfolio is, this is smaller, smaller town, smaller community, um, but it's just right outside of a major metro. And I get all of my money from a small local community bank. And I always tell people, go to your local bank. You know, they, they definitely have products, you know, and services that can help you with this. So how did you find that bank? And, you know, what did you do? How did you guys cultivate that relationship? I was told that you cannot um, secure bank financing until you've been in the business for two years. And then it's a percentage of your two, your, the sum of your two tax returns. It's a percentage of the profit that you make in the two tax returns. And I said, that's, there's no way I'm sure I can find another way. And, um, I was told by multiple people, including my husband, that there's no way that I'm going to be able to secure bank financing. So I just told everyone that I was looking for bank financing. I told every single person and I kept asking, what banks are financing properties in our area? And finally, I, it, I mean, it literally did not take long, maybe a week or two weeks of just spreading it out there that this is what I was looking for because I just didn't believe that, let's say, for example, that you would get 30%. So let's say in the first year, two years, I only made $100,000, that I would only get 30000 from a bank. Oh, that yeah. didn't, I was like, there's no way that's possible. So I, um, so I, uh, found out that this one bank finances flips. And what I did is I created a portfolio. And to me, I said to myself, what would make a banker want to invest with me? And I said to myself, well, if they're a banker, all they care about is numbers. Literally all they care about is numbers. So what I did is I created a packet of every single house that we had done at the time, which was only two (laughs) (laughs) Uh because we were only I'm not even kidding you. We had only been in business for a year and a couple months. So I didn't even, I hadn't even filed my tax return for the first year of business. So, because, you know, it was, you know, you file it the year after. So, um, I had this packet and I put all my projected numbers. I put all my actual numbers and I put an explanation whenever a number was different, whether it was good or bad. It didn't matter. I explained my numbers and then I just did a couple before and after pictures, but not, I didn't make it about before and after pictures because I knew a banker doesn't care about that. Banker just cares on the ability to loan performance. Yep. Yep. And then I invited the banker out to lunch uh, to tour the property and out to lunch. And, um, I cleared my dad's schedule for the day. And we met with a banker and we took them 
took him through the property and I gave him the packet. He actually didn't have time for lunch that day. So he ended up canceling the, the lunch and I was like, Oh, I don't know how well this is going to go now because <laughs> this was my whole plan. But, mm -hmm. um, he called me the next day and said, okay, let us know when you have your next property and we'll finance it for you. So in less than two years, we got bank financing and that property that we ended up purchasing was, I think it was 235,000 and they financed the rehab and 75% of the purchase cost. And wow. at that point, I think I was paying, um, it was, I, I can't remember the exact interest rate, but it was one point and one over prime. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, it's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a, a lot of that came from you being personable with that banker instead of just saying, Hey, I'm Ashley. This is what I do. Here's my portfolio. Let me know if we can get financing. Well, yeah. you put that your business, you became the face of that business. So now when he sees anything from your business, he immediately knows, Oh, okay, this is Ashley. And the reason why I speak of that is because when I would go back to my market, I would always go into that community bank. Even if I didn't have anything to do, I would go in and I would say hi to the tellers, to the girls, and I would go in and I'll briefly speak to the vice president. Hey, how you doing? Let me know if you have any deals, you know, that you need to get off your books or something like that. And I stumbled upon a couple of sweet deals that way, just putting that face with the business. So that was excellent what you did you know a lot of people don't think of that so guys when you're looking for financing do what ashley did do what i did become personable you know with the banker we also switch all of our accounts to this bank as well just to to have a mutual beneficial exactly. relationship yep. because all of our accounts were originally through bank of america at the time you know a larger bank mm -hmm. and we didn't even really enjoy being at that bank in the first place so um, to have a personal relationship with a banker, um, is, is much more advantageous just in general. And, um, it, it was a no brainer for us. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. So we went over deals. We went over finding deals. You're finding them basically on market. Now, are you using a realtor or are you a realtor? Um, how, how did you find this realtor that's submitting these offers for you guys? When we first started, we um, used a realtor and, um, w we liked working with her, um, in terms of like personally, but she wasn't investor focused realtor. Okay, and gotcha. I think there were a lot of, a lot of frustrations because we weren't really on the same page on a lot of things. <clears throat> so we searched for another realtor and then we found this incredible realtor, very investor focused, very savvy. I'm good friends with him to this day and I'm trying to find a way to, you know, get him out of being a realtor. Uh, he's a realtor and an investor. That's why I think he gets it. Okay. Um, but I'm trying to get him just so he like works with us exclusively because he's incredible. But now, um, my husband, when he retired, he got his license and he does all of our single family transaction. Oh, sweet. Um, so, but now, this is something that people would probably argue with me about. Um, we keep the two businesses separate. So if the, if the house doesn't make sense on its own, has nothing to do, his real estate business, he, he, that's as a realtor, that's separate of our yep. flipping business. Yep. Um, 
And the reason we do this is I don't want to get caught in a situation where I buy a house because we're getting money off of the resale. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will argue, what does it matter? You're, it, it's all you know, kind of tied in. But my point is, is I would never buy a house if it didn't turn a profit, regardless of whether or not I had a realtor or not. You know, mm-hmm. so whether or not, sorry, I'm benefiting from the real estate commission. So it, we keep it as two separate businesses. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, that way you don't get spoofed or duped into saying, okay, well, we don't have to pay 3% commission to a realtor, we can do a thinner deal. You know, the margins can be thinner and that's how you get trapped and get caught you yep. know, sometimes. So excellent. So you got your husband in the business, dad's in the business, you're in the business, everything is going pretty good. So tell me about a horror story. It seems like everything is magical. <laughs> Has anything went wrong? <laughs> Not even close to magical. Um, I, I, where do I begin? Um, every single house and single family has some sort of issue. Multifamily, it's magnified. I mean, the issues that I come across in multifamily are crazy. Like for example, I had a gas line go out. So that was 50,000 right there, just gone. Um, because we had to replace the gas line. Then, you know, we have had multiple sewer um, leaks on the property totaling close to $100,000. We've had the property for less than a year. Um, so on the multifamily side of things, the, the problems aren't, you know, a toilet being replaced is not, is not a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we're, we're talking five and six figure problems, not four figure problems. Um, sorry, go ahead. So how did you make that transition from single family over to multifamily because they're they're two completely different spaces. Like you said, a toilet going out is a couple of hundred bucks versus a gas line going out that's 50 grand. So yep. how did you make that transition? How did your business make that transition to getting into the uh, multifamily space? Excellent question. So we always knew we wanted to get into multifamily, but we wanted to do it after my husband's career was over and we were back living in the States. Um, the multifamily is a little bit different while you can obviously purchase from afar it has, has, uh, nothing to do on the feasibility of purchasing and operating from afar in terms of the acquisition and sourcing. It's really old school in the way that it operates, which is relationship based. It's actually, it's, it's so different from single family in the sense that single family, you go on the MLS and I don't know what the percentage, but I'm, I'm guessing 90 plus percentage of the available properties for sale are on MLS. Yeah. In multifamily, it's the reverse. Most, most of the properties are, um, are uh, transacting through off-market mm-hmm. um, transactions so um, or exchanging hands through off-market transactions. So you really need to develop relationships with people, a lot of FaceTime, um, getting to know brokers and, or going direct to sellers. Um, there there's, it's a heavier lift in the sourcing on multifamily. So, um, we waited to do that once he, he retired. So when he retired, um, even before that, we have done a lot of research. Once again, it comes back to educating yourself, learning, setting up the 
you know, the, the groundwork to be able to execute. So we had several years of understanding multifamily, educating ourselves on it, but in, in actual, actual practice, we had, we had nothing, no experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, someone I knew in, um, in the, in the real estate world was doing, um, a large syndication and no one on their team had construction knowledge experience. Um, so they brought me on to lead construction management, um, because, you know, I've done all these flips. I grew up with a general contractor as a father who also has done multifamily, single family, everything in between. So, um, I've, you know, witnessed it and seen it and, um, I can manage and, um, they brought me on and it originally started that I was just supposed to do construction management and it morphed into me doing both asset and construction management. So I did mm -hmm. that on one of the properties. Um, and sorry, just to back up, we passively invested in a deal first before okay. we got into, um, uh, being a GP and active participant on the property. So, and then, so the, so the one that you passively and um, passively invested on that was a syndication and you guys just put in some dollars into it correct okay okay good and then with the gp um being a part of the syndication team that's great because you guys were able to be a value add to that team you know so that was a great way to get on the job training actually <laughs> you know you add your yep. area of expertise to their area of expertise so they learn what you know and you learn what they know and that helped you spawn into that. Okay, excellent, continue. Yeah, so it was a really good opportunity um, for me because on the construction management side, it was really, to be honest with you, it was really easy. Like I, I already knew how to operate um, construction management and negotiate. So, you know, I saved, I saved a you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars by negotiating and knowing price points on things and, um, really kind of, you know, operating the way that I do with mm -hmm. con contractors. So, um, that was advantageous for the entire project because I was able to do that. I also was able to, um, you know, we had a specific budget in terms of renovation per unit. I was below that. I was able to get our rent bumps higher than what was projected. You know, there was a lot of things that in terms of construction management to have someone on your team, on a syndication team with construction knowledge, I think it's hugely beneficial. And at the time, I didn't realize how this syndication world does not have, the majority of teams don't have someone with construction knowledge on their team, which I think is absurd because, yeah. you know, if I was going to invest in someone flipping and they told me they had no construction experience, I would never invest never with them. It. But then when you talk about, okay, I'm going to invest with you on a project that's multiplied by a hundred with the longer hold period, mm -hmm. you know, anyone who's owned a single family house knows that you can't own a single family house, whether it's new construction or, you know, it was built in the sixties without going one year of having some sort of maintenance you have to take care of. But when you magnify that, yeah. you know, that, that just multiplies. So to me, not to have someone without construction knowledge on the team or to outsource it, when you outsource it, you're paying a percentage of what the cost of the construction is. So your interests are no longer aligned. I'm, I'm honestly baffled that, you know, people are investing with groups like this. And I personally, it doesn't matter whether I'm on your team or not, but you should vet teams. And if you're thinking about passively investing with 
someone, you should, that team's to ensure that they have that experience. Someone on their team does because it really makes a huge difference. So fortunately for me in that situation, when I partnered with them, I got exposure to asset management, which I didn't have before. Um, so I really learned as I went and, um, you know, I, I was reading up on things and listening to podcasts and trying to catch up as fast as I could, because that wasn't really why I was brought onto the team in the first place. Uh But that experience really, um, you know, was hugely beneficial to me because then I ended up partnering with another group and I run asset and construction management on that property. And that's 225 units. And without that prior experience, you know, I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity that I have today, you know, to be working this property. Okay. Um, Are those, both of those multifamily units, they're local? No, no, they're, those two properties are in Texas. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So again, value add, you're adding value to the team. And because you do that, you're able to learn. And again, it goes back to you being assertive. Hey, I don't know anything about asset management, but let me get out here and find out and, and figure it out because it's, it's going to be a benefit. So Ashley, kind of getting ready to wrap up here. We covered quite a bit of information. Tell me what's next. What are you doing? What are you doing? I know you, you do some mentorship programs and things of that nature. Kind of explain to us what's next. What is Ashley looking to do? So I'm working with the investor community. Um, and what they do is they provide education free, uh, to women investors across the country. In fact, it's even in Canada. Now we're looking to expand into Europe. Um, and that community is just growing like wildfire. We have meetups, um, throughout the, throughout the country. Uh, we, I actually am leading one tonight and we have over 70 people RSVP to attend, uh, tonight's event. So with one of the co-founders, um, is speaking, So I do that. Um, I also do mentoring one-on-one. I only take a couple people each month. It's a six month to a year program. um, And it's really tailored on helping someone individually get to the next level, whether they're just starting or whether they've already started and they just need help realizing, you know, their next set of goals. Um, So that's something I do. I'm building out the multifamily company that's, um, you know, I, I will be purchasing under in the future. That team has just a profound group of uh, profound um, knowledge and experience. And I'm very fortunate to be around these people and call them partners. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Obviously on the flipping, we're still going to continue to flip. There's a lot of compression in our market with the market cycle coming to its end. Some even Mm -hmm. argue that it's at its end already. Um, I think that, you know, we need to just be very cognizant of, of how the market will react um, when we do go through this next recession, because at some point we're going to go through it. Absolutely. So just making sure that we really stay on top of things um, when it comes to flipping, because flipping has a lot more exposure than multifamily investing does. Um, so those are, those are the things that I'm focused on at this point. And um, I am in the process of working with a group of people. I can't talk much about it yet okay. on a book that um, gotcha. I am um, 
organizing and creating a book, which I hope that it'll be released in September. Okay, congratulations, congratulations. So uh, with all of that being said, we're gonna tie it all together and I'm gonna put you on a hot seat. Uh, So during this time, I'm gonna ask you some brief questions, answer them as quickly as possible. I may expound or ask you some more behind it, but let's, guys, let's put Ashley Wilson on the hot seat. It is the hot seat. So first question, Ashley, starting over, what would you do differently? Buy more sooner. Okay. All right. So what is your greatest commodity outside of capital? My work ethic. Okay. All right. What do you think is one thing you can do to be more productive? Journaling. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, What drives your ambition? My family. What do you believe is your greatest challenge, internal or external? Finding enough time in the day. Okay. Well, if you start journaling, you may be able to find that time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> find I know. Those missing hours. <laughs> it's finding the time to journal. Is to the journal. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I do, because I journal, so mm. I, I get up anywhere between four and five o'clock, and that time is just my quiet alone time, but you have to be disciplined to do it because you know, a lot of people say, I'm not getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning, but it's a great way to frame your day and get started. So that's just my, me giving back to you. I'll give you that. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, what is the latest real estate book that you've read? Um, I mean, I guess it's not strictly real estate related, but it does have a component of real estate is Millionaire Fast Lane. I'm in the process of reading that book. Okay. Millionaire fast lane. And mm-hmm. then what do you believe is one characteristic an investor have to have in order to be successful? They have to love it. Gotcha. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. You hear it guys. You hear it from Ashley Wilson. You gotta love real estate. Don't think about just making money, but you can make money, but you have to love it. So Ashley, I want to thank you. I want to appreciate you speaking to the We Love Equity listeners. I believe you gave us quite a bit of great content, you know, that people can take and use. So tell us, Ashley, how can we get in touch with you? How can we find you? Social media handles, things like that. So you can find me um, on Facebook and Instagram at uh, the handle Badash Investor and also my website, badashinvestor.com. That'll take you to the other website. So that way it's just easy to remember, badashinvestor.com. Okay. And guys, she is not cussing. It is bad ash as in <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> dot com. So that's bad ash um, investor.com. I'll make sure I have all of this information in the show notes, um, plus other content that me and Ashley spoke about. So again, Ashley, before we wrap up, any last words? I just want to thank you very much for having me on and Anyone who's listening, we all start at a different point. We all have different strengths. You can achieve anything that you want to achieve. You are your rate limiter. So don't put a limit on what you can achieve. Thank you for those kind words and those inspiring words, Ashley. So guys, thank you for this week's show. Thank you for being a part. And we will talk to you next week. Always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. 
I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.